When we, for example, are learning mathematics, we are not learning wisdom. We are learning knowledge. We are learning, we are collecting information that we place in our minds. A, on the other hand, wisdom is the application of that knowledge. And someone who is fairly witty put it this way. He said that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a member of the fruit family. But wisdom is knowing enough not to put a tomato in a fruit salad. Um, a better example, perhaps, is that knowledge is teaching a child how to light a match. But wisdom will teach that child what to do once a match is lit and where to light a match and where to apply the use of fire. Because knowledge without wisdom can be a dangerous thing. We can learn things and we can know things, but if we misapply those things, that creates problems. On the other hand, knowledge is very important. You cannot apply wisdom if you don't have knowledge. If you don't know what the Bible says, you can't make a good judgment on what it's trying to tell you and on how to apply that. So in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 1, Robert already mentioned this, that it talks about wisdom crying out, and we'll get into that a little bit more lately, or later on in the message, but wisdom does some really important things to us, and it, it makes itself manifest. It, it brings itself to the forefront again and again. Proverbs chapter 1, I want to read the first seven verses to start with, where he says, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So when you see the word knowledge here in the Hebrew, it, it literally references knowledge as we know it, but it also has the idea of discernment and understanding and wisdom. So it's applied knowledge. It's not just knowledge. It's knowledge that's applied rightly. And as Robert pointed out very well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that applied knowledge. Having a proper reverence for God is extremely important in, a, in order to be able to apply knowledge. Without that reverence and fear for God, we really cannot properly apply the knowledge of God's word and the knowledge of God's will. In the book of Job, we all know the story of Job. We know what he suffered. We know how painful it was. And we know how in the end, after all of that suffering, Job learned to know who God really was. And he said at one point, he said, I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes because he came face to face with God and he understood who God was and he understood that he perhaps didn't have a proper fear of God or reverence for God up to that point. But Job talks about wisdom in chapter 28. You know, as you, as you recall, when Job was suffering, he and his friends sat around for a long time and they, they, they talked 
They actually debated. And there's a lot of interesting uh, information in the book of Job and a lot of wisdom. And Job is speaking here in chapter 28, beginning at verse 12. He says, but where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man knoweth not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. The depth saith, it's not in me, and the sea saith, it's not with me. It cannot be gotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir, with the precious onyx or the sapphire. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it, and the exchange of it shall not be for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it, neither shall it be valued with pure gold. Whence then cometh wisdom, and where is the place of understanding? Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowls of the air, destruction and death say, We've heard the fame thereof with our ears. God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. For he looketh to the ends of the earth and seeth under the whole heaven to make the weight for the winds, and he weigheth the waters by measure. When he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then did he see it and declare it. He prepared it, yea, and he searched it out. And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Now here's what's really interesting. The book of Job was a very ancient book. The Hebrew that's used in Job is so old that there are several terms in it that we don't really know the meaning of today. We kind of had to guess based on the context because it's a very ancient form of Hebrew. It was writ written well before the time of Solomon. And yet both said the same thing. Said the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Isn't that beautiful? Reverence for God. Having a heart that loves God and reveres Him is the beginning of wisdom. So you don't have to have a really high IQ in order to have wisdom. It's not a function of IQ. IQ doesn't measure wisdom. IQ measures the ability of humans to absorb information, but it doesn't measure their ability to be wise. That comes from a reverence for God. Do you love God this morning? Do you revere Him? If you do, then you have a tremendous capacity for wisdom. There's an old story that's told about Albert Einstein. And according to this story, Albert Einstein was sitting in an airplane a number of years ago. And uh, of course, back then, the planes were propeller-driven at this time. And they were a little slower than they are today with, with our jets. But he was sitting on the airplane, and he sat next to a man who was actually, uh, he was a Native American, he was an Indian. And this man was not very smart in terms of Albert Einstein or in comparison to Albert Einstein. He had heard of Albert Einstein and he finds himself sitting next to this man who is so smart, probably the smartest man in the world. And so Albert says to this man, let's play a game. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I will ask you a question. And if you can't answer that question, then you owe me $50. And then you can ask me a question. And if I can't answer your question, 
I will owe you $500. So the man thought for a little while, and Albert said, you go first. And the man said, okay. He said, what goes up the mountain with three legs and comes down the mountain with four legs? And Albert thought and thought and scratched his head and finally said, I don't know, I guess I owe you $500. He said, okay, he said, um, by the way, he said, what does go up the mountain with three legs and comes down with four legs? And the man says, I don't know, and he reached his pocket and gave Albert $50. <laughs> so he outsmarted Albert. He was a little wiser than Albert was when it came to playing this game, even though not nearly as intelligent. Now notice in Proverbs 1, verse 7, it tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. What does a world look like that has no wisdom? What happens when wisdom is absent? So the word for fools here is evil, which is a Hebrew word, that means someone who despises wisdom. Someone who doesn't really want wisdom. Someone who's satisfied just as he is. He mocks the, when he's guilty, he's quarrelsome, he's licentious. He doesn't really care about what's right and what's wrong. And you'll find in the Old Testament especially, but this is true in the New as well, there seems to be a correlation in the words that are used that ties together wisdom and righteousness, and on the other hand, evil and foolishness. They are, they are tied together. They are not completely separate con, uh, concepts. The words wisdom and instruction here, the word for wisdom means skillful or shrewd or able to apply prudent, wise. It means someone who is able to take what God gives him and to understand that because this wisdom comes from God. And then the word instruction is, is referring more to discipline or chastening or correction. Robert mentioned this morning, and I agree very much with this, that if we are a child of God, we will experience the chastisement of God. He says, Paul tells us in the book of Hebrews that that is what makes the difference between children of God and children of the devil. The children of this world are not chastised. They're punished sometimes and destroyed, but they are not chastised in the same way as a child of God because they do not have a desire for wisdom. In Psalm 14, it says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. This is a different word, different Hebrew word. And it means someone who's senseless or literally stupid. Basically, he says, somebody who says in his heart there is no God is stupid. He is not thinking. I was, it was interesting. I was in a, a debate one time online with a couple of atheists. And one of them was very rude and, and the debate was soon over with him because he was more interested in name calling than he was in debating. But the other one was a young man from, from the UK. And we had a really good 
uh, conversation because I told him at one point, he was, he was getting a little arrogant in, in the things that he was saying. And I told him, I said, you know what? I said, God says you're a fool. And I agree with God. I said, think about what you are doing. You are completely ignoring the greatest opportunities anyone could ever give you. God wants to give you wisdom and, and he wants to teach you how to live in this world and he wants to give you eternal life and you're thumbing your nose at it. That's pretty dumb. And it was interesting, in the end, we had a really good conversation. I didn't know how he'd respond to that, but he actually responded by saying, you know what, I am kind of arrogant sometimes. And we had a, and, and we had a conversation, and I don't know, he didn't, he didn't give his heart to the Lord, but at least he was open to hear what I had to say about God and about loving that God. And then in Proverbs 12, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. And that word fool is again, evil. It's the same Hebrew word that we saw in Proverbs 1. It's someone who doesn't want to know what's right. They don't care about wisdom. They care only about themselves. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. They trust their own hearts rather than the wisdom and instruction of God. And they renounce a belief in God. Atheism leads to folly. It really does. It does not lead to intelligence. It leads to folly. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, made, some, made a statement that is really interesting. And I think it helps us understand the concept of wisdom and the concept of uh, foolishness better than we would without it. He says in verse 22, But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Racha, shall be in danger of the consul. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. And so we read this, and you know, in, in our, it's interesting that our... Uh, in, the Christian, in my Christian upbringing, I was taught never to call someone a fool because I was told that that puts you in danger of hellfire. But I think if you read this more carefully, you'll see that's not quite what Jesus is saying. What he's saying, first of all, pertains to your brother. In the original text, the word with his brother is very much there. And he's saying, and, and, and some scholars believe that by saying with his brother, he was talking about other Jews. Some say he was talking about all of humanity. Others believe, as I do, that he was literally, Jesus was giving us a look forward into the church, your brother in Christ. And he was saying that if you're angry with your brother without a cause, that's sin. You need to be careful. That doesn't mean that you never have a right to be angry at your brother. But when you are angry at your brother, it needs to be for cause and it needs to be for redemption and resolution. And not a smoldering, bitter anger that just continues on and on. And the word racha which is actually a Chaldean word. It's one of those words that was borrowed by the Jews from the Babylonians when they were in captivity. That word means an idiot, essentially. It's the closest thing I can say for our, in our English language. So an idiot meaning, more specifically, a senseless, empty-headed man, somebody who's just dumb, just how can you be so dumb? How can you, how can you make those kinds of decisions? 
And it was a term of reproach that was used among the Jews. But you literally, if you insulted the wrong person by saying racha to him, you could literally be dragged before the Sanhedrin. And that's why Jesus says, shall be in danger of the consul. He's talking about the Sanhedrin. You might find yourself basically facing a libel suit like we have in the United States today. You can't, you can't be sued for calling someone a name, but you can be sued if I, if I say... If I would say things about Robert in public or publish things in public about him that are not true, he would have the right by law to sue me and ask for redress and ask for damages because I would cause damage to his reputation. And at the time of Jesus, the same thing was true, but you'd be dragged before the Sanhedrin. But then when you look at the word fool, the Greek, that's a Greek word in, in the original. And that word is moros. And what it means is literally, it's literally the root word for our word moron. And if you go back and you look at the original word moron and, and what it meant early on in the English language, it was a medical term. It meant someone who was so mentally retarded that that person could not function and could not make even basic judgments. That person could never be a, an independent person. It was always dependent because his or her mind was just gone. And so that's where the, the word in the Greek, in the original Greek, means to be foolish, but it also means to be impious and godless. The two are linked together. Isn't that interesting? And so when Jesus was saying, I believe, that if you say of your brother, uh, you are morose, you are impious, you are godless, you have no ability to make any right or wrong judgments, that's a mouthful to say to your brother. Because that brother, if he truly is a brother, is a child of God and is being led by the Spirit. And Jesus says, don't say that of your brother. So the idea of using the term fool and bringing damnation on yourself is not quite correct. There are fools in our world today. And Paul points them out in Romans chapter 1, for example. He says, beginning in verse 20, he says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the word, by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And the word that he uses here is a derivative of the word moros. It means complete utter fools, morons, is literally the word that he's using. And he says, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. So why is this so important? Well, he's telling us that when we lose sight of God's wisdom and we descend into evil, we become, in God's sight, morons. And not just in God's sight, in the sight of humans as well. It, this, is, this is something 
that I think we are seeing happen in real time in our nation and in our culture. We are seeing humans descend to a literal point of stupidity that is almost incomprehensible. And you look at this and you say, how could educated, intelligent people ever reach these conclusions? Well, it's because it's a fulfillment of Romans 1. It's a world without God's wisdom. Here's a statement made by one of our national leaders last week, our vice president. And I, wanna, I want you to ask, I want to ask you after I read this statement whether you agree or disagree with it. So the context was a discussion of, uh, of abortion and Roe versus Wade and the fact that Roe versus Wade has been removed as a legal precedent now and our nation is in a different place in regard to the abortion issue than it has been for the last 50 years. But this is the response that was made when the vice president was asked whether the Democrats should have been more aggressive in codifying Roe versus Wade, creating federal law based on Roe versus Wade before it was overturned. And she said this, she said, I think that to be very honest with you, I do believe that we should have rightly believed but we certainly believe that certain issues are just settled. Certain issues are just settled. You agree with that? I don't know if I do or not, because I have no idea what it means. I don't think I do. Yeah, I don't think I do because she and I don't agree on much of anything, especially not when it comes to the issue of abortion. But my point is, you know, people are laughing at her and they're saying she creates word salads. And dices up words and throws them together in a salad and they make no sense. I mean, let me read that again. I think that, to be very honest with you, I do believe that we should have rightly believed, but we certainly believe that certain issues are just settled. Certain issues are just settled. Okay? I have no idea what that means. Now, why is that important? That's important because when we digress into evil, we are truly digressing. We are not becoming smarter and more enlightened. We are becoming increasingly foolish. And it doesn't matter what your position is. It doesn't matter who you are. That is still true. When you allow yourself to digress into evil, then you're going to find yourself sliding into a mental darkness and you're not going to be sharper. I don't know how many of you know who Jordan Peterson is. He's a Canadian psychologist. He's not a Christian. But he's a very interesting man to listen to. Um, and he's pretty close to Christianity. Uh, I heard him say here a few weeks ago that he said, when I hear about the resurrection of Christ, he said, I have to believe that it's true. It's historically accurate. And he said, that kind of changes everything. But he hadn't made a decision for Jesus. But... He did, he, he was talking about this, and he was talking about the fact that when we go in the direction of uh, self-will and we simply don't listen to what's right and wrong, we are not progressing. We are not progressives, as they are called technically. We are regressing. We are going backward. We are not going forward. And this is not progress for our world. This is truly regression. I think that's important because wisdom 
enlightens us and helps us become better and better. I'm going to read. I'm going to read the same scripture that Robert read, or part of the same scripture that Robert read from James three, and I think he did a very good job of talking about what worldly wisdom is versus godly wisdom. So I'm not going to touch on that, but I do want to just read it. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation or walk his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You know, Christian educators and homeschool mothers have often been attacked because they lack formal education in regard to training their children. And so they've been told, your children are going to be second best. And there are some cases, I have seen some cases, to be honest, where there's been home education or even private education that has lacked because the people who were doing it had no idea what they were doing. But for the most part, that is not true. The scriptural references to wisdom and folly help us understand that the wisdom needed to lead children into readiness to face life belongs to those who are godly. It's interesting when our son Doug, uh, when I, we went to um, Purdue Fort Wayne to talk to a consular back when he was enrolling in an engineering program, um, I talked to the consular there, the admissions consular, and I said, "What? How will that affect Doug?" And I said he was in a Christian school all of his life. He was never in public school, and uh, I said it was a small Christian school. I said, "How how will that affect his standing here?" And the counselor said, uh, well, he said, it means we're going to recruit him and chase him around. He said, last year, he said, three of the five top students in our School of Engineering and Technology were homeschoolers. I said, wow. So godly wisdom is practical. It doesn't just affect our future life. It affects us right now. And allowing God's wisdom to, to permeate us And to help us is a right thing to do in so many ways. Wisdom is a gift of God. Adoniram, if I can say it, it's hard to say. Adoniram Judson said this about wisdom. He said, no mind, no wisdom. Temporary mind, temporary wisdom. Eternal mind, eternal wisdom. So true. When we think in terms of eternity, when our perspective is eternal, the wisdom that we have is good for today and forever. So what if we lack wisdom? Robert touched on that a little bit. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. That's a pretty direct promise. If you're asking God for wisdom, not only is he going to give you, he's not going to give you a teaspoonful. He's going to get out the shovel and he's going to pour it on because he giveth liberally and he upbraideth not. He doesn't say, why are you asking me for wisdom again? He says, here's another shovel full 
and he pours it on. And I, I just praise him for that. He's liberal in his giving. He, he gives to those who are willing to be taught. And in Proverbs 1, we have, if we pick up again at verse 20, we see wisdom crying in the streets. It's very public. It's appeal to us. God has cried out again and again, I want to give you wisdom. It says in verse 20, Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates, in the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make my words known unto you. Because I have called, and you refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would have none of my reproof. God is crying out. He's saying, humans, listen to me. You have mocked me. You have refused to ask for my wisdom. And then he says in verse 26, because of all that, he says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. That's a terrible thing. To find ourselves in a place where God says, I'm going to mock you when you experience judgment. And yet that is where humans are if they refuse God's wisdom. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early and they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning of the way of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. It's interesting, isn't it, that God uses humans and the things that they establish to then turn around and judge them. He's done this often in history. He's often allowed someone to build an empire of some sort separate from God and then use that very empire to come back at the person who judged him. Judgment is coming for those who reject God's wisdom. Do you ever feel like God is too soft? I do sometimes. I think, God, how long are you going to put up with this stuff? I mean, come on. I mean, look what these people are saying and what they're doing. Look what they're doing to children. What they're, look at what they're doing to young people. How long are you just going to sit there and let this happen? But here he says that judgment is coming. And it's going to be severe when it comes. God will entrap evil men in their own folly. Fools will be destroyed by their own prosperity. But then in verse 33, he says, but whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Isn't that beautiful? That's the flip side. That's the other side of the coin. If you are willing to embrace God's wisdom, you're gonna find yourself Dwelling safely and being quiet from fear of evil. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll dwell safely here on earth and you'll be able to live in your house and 
and never have anything ill happen to you. In fact, Jesus promised us persecution. He said they'll chase you around and torment you. But it does mean that in God's place, you're going to be able to dwell and be quiet from fear of evil. I think about Asaph in Psalm 73, where he talked about what he saw living in his day, not much different from ours, where he says, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But then going down to verse 26, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw an eye to God. I will put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. I just really think that's a precious promise. That God is going to keep those who embrace his wisdom and trust in him. That's a promise to you as an individual. That's a promise to us as a congregation. That's a promise to all who will embrace him. Now, sometimes we look pretty foolish, don't we, in this world. Things go wrong for us. It seems like those who are evil prosper. They're doing so well, and we're struggling, and we say, God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? But he, hasn't, he hasn't forgotten you. And if you look in Psalm, I just read, I read five verses from Psalm 73, it has 28 verses. I left out a bunch in the middle where Asaph is saying, God, look at these people. I mean, they're dwelling in safety and peace and everything is going well for them. And here I am struggling. I'm having a really hard time. But then at the end, he recognizes that it is good for him to draw near to God. He says, I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. That's wisdom. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4, just like to use that in closing, where he says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust thee in the Lord forever, for the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. I have, uh, there have been times in my life, and and I I think all all of us here could probably say the same thing, there have been times in my life when I have just felt like, God, what good is it to try to follow you? It just seems like we, we struggle so much. I try to do the right thing, but in the end, I look like a fool. I try to follow you and, and do what you want, and yet in the end, it just seems like it doesn't work. <clears throat> If you're there, and I've been there, read the end of the chapter. Keep reading. Read the end of the book. Read the end of Revelation. And you will know that that is not true. You will know that wisdom comes from God. That when you apply that wisdom, you will dwell safely in God's place for you.